Chapter Seven of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli, by Julia Ward Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Margaret's love of children, visit to Concord after the death of Waldo Emerson, conversations in Boston, summer on the lakes. Among Margaret's lifelong characteristics was a genuine love of little children which sprang from a deep sense of the beauty and sacredness of childhood when she visited the homes of her friends the little ones of their households were taken into the circle of her loving attention three of them became so especially dear to her that she called them her children these were waldo emerson picky greeley and herman clark for each of them the span of earthly life was short no one of them living to pass out of childhood waldo was the eldest son of mr emerson the child deeply mourned and commemorated by him in the well-known threnody the hyacinthine boy for whom morn might well break an april bloom the gracious boy who did adorn the world whereinto he was born and by his countenance repay the favour of the loving day has disappeared from the day's eye this death occurred in eighteen forty one margaret visited concord soon afterward and has left in her journals a brief record of this visit in which she made the grief of her friends her own we gather from its first phrase that mr emerson whom she now speaks of as waldo had wished her to commit to writing some of her reminiscences of the dear one lately departed waldo brought me at once the inkhorn and pen i told him if he kept me so strictly to my promise i might lose my ardour however i began at once to write for him but not with much success lydian came in to see me before dinner she wept for the lost child and i was tempted to do the same which relieved much from the oppression i have felt since i came waldo showed me all he and others had written about the child there is very little from waldo's own observation though he was with him so much he has not much eye for the little signs in children that have such great leadings the little there is is good mamma may i have this little bell which i have been making to stand by the side of my bed yes it may stand there but mamma i am afraid it will alarm you it may sound in the middle of the night and it will be heard over the whole town it will sound like some great glass thing which will fall down and break all to pieces it will be louder than a thousand hawks it will be heard across the water and in all the countries it will be heard all over the world i like this because it was exactly so he talked spinning away without end and with large beautiful earnest eyes but most of the stories are of short sayings this is good in m russell's journal of him she had been telling him a story that excited him and then he told her this how his horse went out into a long long wood and how he looked through a squirrel's eyes and saw a great giant and the giant was himself went to see the hawthorns it was very pleasant the poplars whisper so suddenly their pleasant tale and everywhere the view is so peaceful the house within i like all their things are so expressive of themselves and mix in so gracefully with the old furniture h walked home with me we stopped some time to look at the moon 
she was struggling with clouds he said he should be much more willing to die than two months ago for he had had some real possession in life but still he never wished to leave this earth it was beautiful enough he expressed as he always does many fine perceptions i like to hear the lightest thing he says waldo and i have good meetings though we stop at all our old places but my expectations are moderate now it is his beautiful presence that i prize far more than our intercourse he has been reading me his new poems and the other day at the end he asked me how i liked the little subjective twinkle all through saturday dear richard has been here a day or two and his common sense and homely affection are grateful after these fine people with whom i live at swords points though for the present turned downwards it is well to thee and thou it after talking with angels and geniuses richard and i spent the afternoon at walden and got a great bunch of flowers a fine thunder-shower gloomed gradually up and turned the lake inky black but no rain came till sunset sunday a heavy rain i must stay at home i feel sad mrs ripley was here but i only saw her a while in the afternoon and spent the day in my room sunday i do not give to my duty writing no indeed i finished yesterday after a rest the article on ballads though a patchwork thing it has craved time to do it we come now to the period of the famous conversations in which more fully than in aught else margaret may be said to have delivered her message to the women of her time the novelty of such a departure in the boston of forty years ago may be imagined and also the division of opinion concerning it in those social circles which considered themselves as charged with the guardianship of the taste of the community margaret's attitude in view of this undertaking appears to have been a modest and sensible one she found herself in the first place under the necessity of earning money for her own support and in aid of her family her greatest gift as she well knew was in conversation her rare eloquence did not much avail her at her desk and though all that she wrote had the value of thought and of study it was in living speech alone that her genius made itself entirely felt and appreciated what more natural than that she should have proposed to make this rare gift available for herself and others the reasons which she herself gives for undertaking the experiment are so solid and sufficient as to make us blush retrospectively for the merriment in which the thoughtless world sometimes indulged concerning her her wish was to pass in review the departments of thought and knowledge and endeavour to place them in due relation to one another in our minds to systematise thought and to give a precision and clearness in which our sex are so deficient chiefly i think because they have so few inducements to test and classify what they receive in fine she hoped to be able to throw some light upon the momentous questions what were we born to do and how shall we do it in looking forward to this effort she saw one possible obstacle in that sort of vanity which wears the garb of modesty 
and which she thinks may make some women fear to lay aside the shelter of vague generalities the art of coterie criticism and the delicate disdains of good society even to obtain a nearer view of truth itself yet she says as without such generous courage nothing of value can be learned or done i hope to see many capable of it the twofold impression which margaret made is to be remarked in this matter of the conversations as elsewhere without the fold of her admirers stood carping unkind critics within were enthusiastic and grateful friends the first meeting of margaret's conversation class was held at miss peabody's rooms in west street boston on the sixth of november eighteen thirty nine twenty-five ladies were present who showed themselves to be of the elect by their own election of a noble aim these were all ladies of superior position gathered by a common interest from very various belongings of creed and persuasion at this their first coming together margaret prefaced her programme by some remarks on the deficiencies in the education given to women defects which she thought that later study aided by the stimulus of mutual endeavour and interchange of thought might do much to remedy her opening remarks are as instructive to-day as they were when she uttered them women are now taught at school all that men are they run over superficially even more studies without really being taught anything but with this difference men are called on from a very early period to reproduce all that they learn their college exercises their political duties their professional studies the first actions of life in any direction call on them to put to use what they have learned but women learn without any attempt to reproduce their only reproduction is for purposes of display it is to supply this defect that these conversations have been planned margaret had chosen the greek mythology for the subject of her first conversations her reasons for this selection are worth remembering it is quite separated from all exciting local subjects it is serious without being solemn and without excluding any mode of intellectual action it is playful as well as deep it is sufficiently wide for it is a complete expression of the cultivation of a nation it is also generally known and associated with all our ideas of the arts in considering this statement it is not difficult for us at this day to read as people say between the lines the religious world of margaret's youth was agitated by oppositions which rent asunder the heart of christendom margaret wished to lead her pupils beyond all discord into the high and happy unity her own nature was both fervent and religious but she could not accept intolerance either in belief or in disbelief to study with her friends the ethics of an ancient faith too remote to become the occasion of personal excitement seemed to her a step in the direction of freer thought and a more unbiased criticism the greek mythology instinct with the genius of a wonderful people afforded her the desired theme with its help she would introduce her pupils to a sphere of serenest contemplation in which religion and beauty had become wedded through immortal types 
margaret was not able to do this without awakening some orthodox suspicion this she knew how to allay for when one of the class demurred at the supposition that a christian nation could have anything to envy in the religion of a heathen one margaret said that she had no desire to go back and believed we have the elements of a deeper civilization yet the christian was in its infancy the greek in its maturity nor could she look on the expression of a great nation's intellect as insignificant these fables of the gods were the result of the universal sentiments of religion aspiration intellectual action of a people whose political and aesthetic life had become immortal margaret's good hopes were justified by the success of her undertaking the value of what she had to impart was felt by her class from the first it was not received in a passive and compliant manner but with the earnest questioning which she had wished to awaken and which she was so well able both to promote and to satisfy in the first of her conversations ten of the twenty-five persons present took part and this number continued to increase in later meetings some of these ladies had been bred in the way of liberal thought some held fast to the formal limits of the old theology the extremes of bigotry and scepticism were probably not underrepresented among them from these differences and dissidences margaret was able to combine the elements of a wider agreement a common ground of interest was found in the range of topics presented by her and in her manner of presenting them the enlargement of a new sympathy was made to modify the intense and narrow interests in which women as a class are apt to abide margaret's journal and letters to friends give some accounts of the first meetings she finds her circle from the start devoutly thoughtful and feels herself not a paid corinne but a teacher and a guide the bright minds respond to her appeal as half-kindled coals glow beneath a strong and sudden breath the present always arid if exclusively dwelt in is enriched by the treasures of the past and animated by the great hopes of the future reports from some of margaret's hearers show us how she appeared to them all was said with the most captivating address and grace and with beautiful modesty the position in which she placed herself with respect to the rest was entirely ladylike and companionable another writer finds in the seance the charm of a platonic dialogue without pretension or pedantry margaret in her chair of leadership appeared positively beautiful in her intelligent enthusiasm even her dress was glorified by this influence and is spoken of as sumptuous although it is known to have been characterized by no display or attempted effect in margaret's plan the personages of the greek olympus were considered as types of various aspects of human character prometheus became the embodiment of pure reason jupiter stood for active juno for passive will the one representing insistence the other resistance minerva pictured the practical power of the intellect apollo became the symbol of genius bacchus that of geniality venus was instinctive womanhood and also a type of the beautiful to the consideration of which four conversations were devoted 
in a fifth margaret related the story of cupid and psyche in a manner which indelibly impressed itself upon the minds of her hearers other conversations presented neptune as circumstance pluto as the abyss of the undeveloped pan as the glow and play of nature etc thus in picturesque guise the great questions of life and of character were passed in review a fresh and fearless analysis of human conditions showed as a discovery the grandeur and beauty of man's spiritual inheritance all were cheered and uplifted by this new outlook sharing for the time and perhaps thenceforth what mr emerson calls the steady elevation of margaret's aim these occasions so highly prized and enjoyed sometimes brought to margaret their penalty in the shape of severe nervous headache during one of these attacks a friend expressed anxiety lest she should continue to suffer in this way margaret replied i feel just now a separation from pain and illness such a consciousness of true life while suffering most that pain has no effect but to steal some of my time in accordance with the urgent desire of the class the conversations were renewed at the beginning of the following winter margaret having in the meantime profited by a season of especial retirement which was not without influence upon her plan of thought and of life from this interval of religious contemplation she returned to her labors with the feeling of a new power in opening the first meeting of this second series on november twenty second eighteen forty margaret spoke of great changes which had taken place in her way of thinking these were of so deep and sacred a character that she could only give them a partial expression which however sufficed to touch her hearers deeply they all with glistening eyes seemed melted into one love hearts were kindled by her utterance to one enthusiasm of sympathy which set out of sight the possibility of future estrangement in the conversations of this winter eighteen forty to forty one the fine arts held a prominent place margaret stated at the beginning that the poetry of life would be found in the advance from objects to law from the circumference of being where we found ourselves at our birth to the centre this poetry was the only path of the true soul life's prose being the deviation from this ideal way the fine arts she considered a compensation for this prose which appeared to her inevitable the beauties which life could not embody might be expressed in stone upon canvas or in music and verse she did not permit the search for the beautiful to transcend the limits of our social and personal duties the pursuit of aesthetic pleasure might lead us to fail in attaining the higher beauty a poetic life was not the life of a dilettante of sculpture and music she had much to say placing them above all other arts painting appeared to her inferior to sculpture because it represented a greater variety of objects and thus involved more prose several conversations were nevertheless devoted to painting and the conclusion was reached that color was consecrate to passion and sculpture to thought while yet in some sculptures like the niobe for example feeling was recognized but on a grand universal scale the question 
what is life occupied one meeting and brought out many differences of view which margaret at last took up into a higher ground beginning with god as the eternally loving and creating life and recognizing in human nature a kindred power of love and of creation through the exercise of which we also add constantly to the total sum of existence and leaving behind us ignorance and sin become godlike in the ability to give as well as to receive happiness with the work of this winter was combined a series of evening meetings five in number to which gentlemen were admitted mr emerson was present at the second of these and reports it as having been somewhat encumbered by the headiness or incapacity of the men who as he observes had not been trained in margaret's method another chronicler for whose truth mr emerson vouches speaks of the plan of these five evenings as a very noble one they were spoken of as evenings of mythology and margaret in devising them had relied upon the more thorough classical education of the gentlemen to supplement her own knowledge acquired in a less systematic way in this hope she was disappointed the newcomers did not bring with them an erudition equal to hers nor yet any helpful suggestion of ideas the friend whom we now quote is so much impressed by margaret's power as to say i cannot conceive of any species of vanity living in her presence she distances all who talk with her even mr emerson served only to display her powers his uncompromising idealism seeming narrow and hard when contrasted with her glowing realism she proceeds in her search after the unity of things the divine harmony not by exclusion as mr emerson does but by comprehension and so no poorest saddest spirit but she will lead to hope and faith margaret's classes continued through six winters the number of those present varied from twenty-five to thirty in eighteen forty one through forty two the general subject was ethics under which head the family the school the church society and literature were all discussed and with a special reference to the influences on woman in the winter next after this we have notes of the following topics is the ideal first or last divination or experience persons who never awake to life in this world mistakes faith creeds woman demonology influence roman catholicism the ideal in the season of eighteen forty three forty four a number of themes were considered under the general head of education among these were culture ignorance vanity prudence and patience these happy labors came to an end in april of the year eighteen forty four when margaret parted from her class with many tokens of their love and gratitude after speaking of affectionate words beautiful gifts and rare flowers she says how noble has been my experience of such relations now for six years and with so many and so various minds life is worth living is it not margaret had answered mr mallock's question before it was asked margaret's summer on the lakes was the summer of eighteen forty three her first records of it date from niagara 
and give her impressions of the wonderful scene in which the rapids impressed her more than the cataract itself whether seen from the american or from the canadian side slowly and thoughtfully i walked down to the bridge leading to the goat island and when i stood upon this frail support and saw a quarter of a mile of tumbling rushing rapids and heard their everlasting roar my emotions overpowered me a choking sensation rose to my throat a thrill rushed through my veins my blood ran rippling to my fingers ends this was the climax of the effect which the falls produced upon me at buffalo she embarked for a voyage on lake erie making a brief stop at cleveland the steamer passed on to the st clair river the sight of an encampment of indians on its banks gave margaret her first feeling of what was then the west the people in the boat were almost all new englanders seeking their fortunes they had brought with them their cautious manners their love of polemics it grieved me to hear trinity and unity discussed in the poor narrow doctrinal way on these free waters but that will soon cease there is no time for this clash of opinions in the west where the clash of material interests is so noisy they will need the spirit of religion more than ever to guide them but will find less time than before for its doctrine the following passage will show us the spirit which margaret carried into these new scenes i came to the west prepared for the distaste i must experience at its mushroom growth i know that where go ahead is the motto the village cannot grow into the gentle proportions that successive lives and the gradations of experience involuntarily give the march of peaceful is scarcely less wanton than that of warlike invention the old landmarks are broken down and the land for a season bears none except of the rudeness of conquest and the needs of the day i have come prepared to see all this to dislike it but not with stupid narrowness to distrust or defame on the contrary i trust by reverent faith to woo the mighty meaning of the scene perhaps to foresee the law by which a new order a new poetry is to be evoked from this chaos charles dickens's american notes may have been in margaret's mind when she penned these lines and this faith in her may have been quickened by the perusal of the pages in which he showed mostly how not to see a new country reaching chicago she had her first glimpse of the prairie which at first only suggested to her the very desolation of dullness after sweeping over the vast monotony of the lakes to come to this monotony of land with all around a limitless horizon to walk and walk but never climb how the eye greeted the approach of a sail or the smoke of a steamboat it seemed that anything so animated must come from a better land where mountains give religion to the scene but after i had ridden out and seen the flowers and observed the sun set with that calmness seen only in the prairies and the cattle winding slowly to their homes in the island groves most peaceful of sights i began to love because i began to know the scene and shrank no longer from the encircling vastness here followed an excursion of three weeks in a strong wagon drawn by a stalwart pair of horses and supplied with all that could be needed 
as the journey was through rock river valley beyond the regions of trade and barter margaret speaks of a guide equally admirable as marshal and companion this was none other than a younger brother of james freeman clark william hull clark by name a man who then and thereafter made chicago his home and who lived and died an honored and respected citizen this journey with margaret in which his own sister was of the party always remained one of the poetic recollections of his early life he had suffered much from untoward circumstances and was beginning to lose the elasticity of youth under the burden of his discouragements margaret's sympathy divined the depth and delicacy of william clark's character and her unconquerable spirit lifted him from the abyss of despondency into a cheerfulness and courage which nevermore forsook him returning to chicago margaret once more embarked for lake travel and her next chapter describes wisconsin at that time a territory not yet a state still nearer the acorn than we were milwaukee was then a small town promising as she says to be some time a fine one the yellow brick of which she found it mostly built pleased her as it has pleased the world since no railroads with mysterious initials served in those days the needs of that vast region the steamer arriving once in twenty-four hours brought mails and travellers and a little stir of novelty and excitement going a day's journey into the adjacent country margaret and her companions found such accommodations as is here mentioned the little log cabin where we slept with its flower garden in front disturbed the scene no more than a lock upon a fair cheek the hospitality of that house i may well call princely it was the boundless hospitality of the heart which if it has no aladdin's lamp to create a palace for the guest does him still greater service by the freedom of its bounty to the very last drop of its powers in the western immigration milwaukee was already a station of importance here on the pier i see disembarking the germans the norwegians the swedes the swiss who knows how much of old legendary lore of modern wonder they have already planted amid the wisconsin forests soon their tales of the origin of things and the providence that rules them will be so mingled with those of the indian that the very oak tree will not know them apart will not know whether itself be a runic a druid or a winnebago oak margaret reached the island of mackinaw late in august and found it occupied by a large representation from the chippewa and ottawa tribes who came there to receive their yearly pension from the government at washington arriving at night the steamer fired some rockets and margaret heard with a sinking heart the wild cries of the excited indians and the pants and snorts of the departing steamer she walked with a stranger to a strange hotel her late companions having gone on with the boat she found such rest as she could in the room which served at once as sitting and as dining-room the early morning revealed to her the beauties of the spot and with these the features of her new neighbors with the first rosy streak i was out among my indian neighbors whose lodges honeycombed the beautiful beach they were already on the alert the children creeping out from beneath the blanket door of the lodge the women pounding corn in their rude mortars the young men playing on their pipes 
i had been much amused when the strain proper to the winnebago courting flute was played to me on another instrument at any one's fancying it a melody but now when i heard the notes in their true tone and time i thought it not unworthy comparison with the sweetest bird-song and this like the bird-song is only practised to allure a mate the indian become a citizen and a husband no more thinks of playing the flute than one of the settled-down members of our society would of choosing the purple light of love as dye-stuff for a surtout of the island itself margaret writes it was a scene of ideal loveliness and these wild forms adorned it as looking so at home in it the indian encampment was constantly enlarged by new arrivals which margaret watched from the window of her boarding-house i was never tired of seeing the canoes come in and the new arrivals set up their temporary dwellings the women ran to set up the tent-poles and spread the mats on the ground the men brought the chests kettles and so on the mats were then laid on the outside the cedar boughs strewed on the ground the blanket hung up for a door and all was completed in less than twenty minutes they then began to prepare the night meal and to learn of their neighbours the news of the day in these days in which a spasm of conscience touches the american heart with a sense of the wrongs done to the indian margaret's impressions concerning our aborigines acquire a fresh interest and value she found them in occupation of many places from which they have since been driven by what is called the march of civilization we may rather call it a barbarism better armed and informed than their own she also found among their white neighbors the instinctive dislike and repulsion which are familiar to us here in mackinaw margaret could not consort with them without drawing upon herself the censure of her white acquaintances indeed i wonder why they did not give me up as they certainly looked upon me with great distaste for it get you gone you indian dog was the felt if not the breathed expression towards the hapless owners of the soil all their claims all their sorrows quite forgot in abhorrence of their dirt their tawny skins and the vices the whites have taught them missionary zeal seems to have been at a standstill just at this time and the hopelessness of converting those heathen to christianity was held to excuse further effort to that end margaret says whether the indian could by any efforts of love and intelligence have been civilized and made a valuable ingredient in the new state i will not say but this we are sure of the french catholics did not harm them did not disturb their minds merely to corrupt them the french they loved but the stern presbyterian with his dogmas and his task-work the city circle and the college with their niggard conceptions and unfeeling stare have never tried the experiment margaret naturally felt an especial interest in observing the character and condition of the indian women she says truly enough the observations of women upon the position of woman are always more valuable than those of men unhappily this is a theme in regard to which many women make no observation of their own and only repeat what they have heard from men but of margaret's impressions a few sentences will give us some idea with the women i held much communication by signs 
they are almost invariably coarse and ugly with the exception of their eyes with a peculiarly awkward gait and forms bent by burdens this gait so different from the steady and noble step of the men marks the inferior position they occupy margaret quotes from mrs schoolcraft and from mrs grant passages which assert that this inferiority does not run through the whole life of an indian woman and that the drudgery and weary service imposed upon them by the men are compensated by the esteem and honour in which they are held still she says notwithstanding the homage paid to women and the consequence allowed them in some cases it is impossible to look upon the indian women without feeling that they do occupy a lower place than women among the nations of european civilization their decorum and delicacy are striking and show that where these are native to the mind no habits of life make any difference their whole gesture is timid yet self-possessed they used to crowd round me to inspect little things i had to show them but never press near on the contrary would reprove and keep off the children anything they took from my hand was held with care then shut or folded and returned with an air of ladylike precision and of the aspect of the indian question in her day margaret writes i have no hope of liberalizing the missionary of humanizing the sharks of trade of infusing the conscientious drop into the flinty bosom of policy of saving the indian from immediate degradation and speedy death yet let every man look to himself how far this blood shall be required at his hands let the missionary instead of preaching to the indian preach to the traitor who ruins him of the dreadful account which will be demanded of the followers of cain let every legislator take the subject to heart and if he cannot undo the effects of past sin try for that clear view and right sense that may save us from sinning still more deeply margaret's days in mackinaw were nine in number she went thence by steamer to the sault st marie on the way thither the steamer being detained by a fog its captain took her in a small boat to visit the island of st joseph and on it the remains of an old english fort her comments upon this visit in itself of little interest are worth quoting the captain though he had been on this trip hundreds of times had never seen this spot and never would but for this fog and his desire to entertain me he presented a striking instance how men for the sake of getting a living forget to live this is a common fault among the active men the truly living who could tell what life is it should not be so literature should not be left to the mere literati eloquence to the mere orator every caesar should be able to write his own commentary we want a more equal more thorough more harmonious development and there is nothing to hinder the men of this country from it except their own supineness or sordid views at the sioux margaret found many natural beauties and enjoyed among other things the descent of the rapids in a canoe returning to mackinaw she was joined by her friends and has further chronicled only her safe return to buffalo the book which preserves the record of this journey saw the light at the end of the next year's summer margaret ends it with a little envoy to the reader 
but for us the best envoy will be her own description of the last days of its composition every day i rose and attended to the many little calls which are always on me and which have been more of late then about eleven i would sit down to write at my window close to which is the apple-tree lately full of blossoms and now of yellow birds opposite me was del sarto's madonna behind me silenus holding in his arms the infant pan i felt very content with my pen my daily bouquet and my yellow birds about five i would go out and walk till dark then would arrive my proofs like crabbed old guardians coming to tea every night so passed each day the twenty-third of may my birthday about one o'clock i wrote the last line of my little book then i went to mount auburn and walked gently among the graves and here ends what we have to say about margaret's new england life from its close shelter and intense relations she was now to pass into scenes more varied and labours of a more general scope she had become cruelly worn by her fatigues in teaching and in writing and in the year eighteen forty four was induced by liberal offers to accept a permanent position on the staff of the new york tribune then in the hands of messrs greeley and mckelrath this step involved the breaking of home ties and the dispersion of the household which margaret had done so much to sustain and to keep together margaret's brothers had now left college and had betaken themselves to the pursuits chosen as their life work her younger sister was married and it was decided that her mother should divide her time among these members of her family leaving margaret free to begin a new season of work under circumstances which promised her greater freedom from care and from the necessity of unremitting exertion End of chapter seven